Welcome in to 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Drew Creaseman. As always, I'm excited to be talking Colorado Rockies baseball with you here on the show. And what a fascinating ball game, a one to nothing win over the Minnesota Twins from your Colorado Rockies last night. Uh, and really these last couple of series, right? I feel like they're toying with us. I feel like they're play- they're mocking us directly. This is really strange to watch because really I can break down the season. I'm going to get into the game in just a minute. Let's start with the some of the big picture stuff here, right? Because I feel like with this team, you know, they were decent in April and a couple of things went their way. So they ended up coming out with a an above 500 record and they were really bad in May, right? Just kind of across the board, bad at everything. And then June has been this month where there have been times where they've played quite well for stretches and just had it either undone by, you know, the the, the mistakes that we've talked about or these these little stretches of bad play. And so... For me, basically going back to that California road trip and, and even maybe extending a little bit before that for the home series they had against Atlanta, the quality of their play, particularly when it comes to the pitching on average, the, the stuff that should matter the most, has been quite a bit better. And they've been playing far more competitive baseball games, right? Remember there in May when they were getting blown out or when maybe the offense would get them back in it, but they'd still lose 13 to 7, you know, stuff like that was happening all the time. And they have normalized their play over the last three or four weeks into something much closer resembling what I thought the team was going to look like and really what just kind of normal baseball, honestly, looks like, right? The problem is that all of the little mistakes, and I'm, I'm not going to talk too much more because I know the last couple of episodes have been about the mistakes, and there was another one last night that didn't end up costing the ball game, but it could have. It very, very easily could have. And so you get things like sweeping a very good San Diego Padres team and then getting swept by a very mediocre, if that's something that you can be, Miami Marlins team and then going into Minnesota and facing a team comfortably over 500 that's been in first or second in their division for most of the season and you shut them out you shut them down you beat them one nothing in their house and so now you're sitting here going well if they had won a game or two in Miami I might have to come on here and start talking about maybe they're going to pull themselves back into this race. You know, and one game is is just one game in Minnesota, but again, it, again, it works that way both ways, right? You go to Miami. They could have won any of those three games. They could have won all three. They could have won two. They could have just won one. But if they'd done that and they were making up some ground here, 
in, in climbing back toward 500, you could say, hey, th- this better play is leading to better results. The problem is that the better play isn't really leading to better results because it keeps getting undone by the key mistake, by the key inning, by the key error, whatever the play. Sometimes it's just the other team gets the key hit when they don't. That happens too, right? But that's why the the mistakes have been so costly. So to get into the ball game last night, you've got some weird, fun, and interesting oddities here, starting with, of course, Armand Marquez. I wrote about this today at modelhighsports.com, so you can go over and check that out. Uh, when I broke down the actual numbers that I don't have right in front of me right this second, on his last four outings. Again, kind of a microcosm of the team, right? The last couple of weeks, he's been good. He's been actually much, much better than he was in the nine starts before that, where he was arguably the worst starting pitcher in the National League. Seven plus ERA. It's bad, right? And we all know it was bad. We were watching it. And this is one of the big things that's been a surprise disappointment for the Rockies this year is just how how rough Marquez has been. And I remember writing weeks ago that the best hope for them to save their season was going to be Marquez getting on track. And now we have this interesting occurrence where over his last four games, much, much better. Right, an ERA in the threes you can live with. Guys aren't hitting over 300 against him, instead, it's in the low 200s, right? That kind of stuff. Like, that's a massive difference. And we've seen it. We, if you're watching the games, you've seen that this is the result of all the things that we had talked about that had been going wrong now going a bit better. He's hitting his spots, his mechanics are crisper and more consistent from delivery to delivery. He's getting his first pitch strikes, which then allows him to implement a game plan. Because you can't just throw curveballs all day just because historically when you've thrown them, they've done well. That's because historically when you've thrown them, they've been set up by other pitches that have been successful in the strike zone. Once he can set up his most devastating pitch, Marquez remains a very, very good pitcher. And we saw it against a good lineup last night. What was odd... He didn't strike anybody out. He still didn't really have the big swing and miss stuff. Now, we got a couple of pretty good swings and misses, uh, for sure, in there. But two strikeouts in the game. And so we're still looking for that that dominant Marquez we've seen where he can get seven, eight, nine strikeouts, really without feeling like he's doing too much, right? We've all seen those games out of him in the past. And so while he's been better, measurably and dramatically better over his last four outings, we're still looking for that dominant Marquez that can go seven or eight innings and give up no runs, but also run up the seven strikeouts. But this is the closest we've gotten to seeing that, despite the fact that he walked five guys. So still, so there's your two big red flags inside of the one start where he pitched well. Five walks. Now, I will say this, I and those of you that know me know I was a, a little bit distracted by multiple things last night. I'm going to go back and watch, you know, full video of everything. Uh, but it it did just, according to Baseball Savant and, and the data that I have pulled up here, like he was getting squeezed a little bit too. So sometimes the walks, you know, 
versus strikeouts. But when getting the weak contact, which he was doing all night, he was able to work around them. Sometimes it's you know just part of the game that you're pitching in. But still, you'd like to see the command tighten up a little bit. You'd like to see the swing and miss stuff be there a little bit more. But when you're only giving up three hits, and he should have gone eight full innings. He was out there for the eighth. He got his outs. There was a runner on. Ball hit to third. Should have been out number three. And another error from Ryan McMahon, who, again, is just having a a really tough season defensively, at least in in terms of the errors. Actually, when you look at the numbers uh, in terms of, you know, his range factor, and is another conversation. Maybe if the Rockies continue to sort of fall out of contention, we can step back and start having more of these philosophical conversations of like, how do you measure exactly how bad a defender has been? Because fielding percentage ain't everything. And the fact is, Ryan McMahon gets to a lot of baseballs still that a lot of other third basemen don't even get to, which increases your opportunity to make errors. A lot of the numbers in terms of UZR, DRS and those kinds of things still see McMahon as a plus defender this year. But again, that's why I think in every one of these analytics and in every statistic, actually, sometimes you've you've got to separate yourself from the reality of how this projects over a long period of time and what theoretical value is and you know, what actually ends up costing you games. I remember having this conversation with Carlos Gonzalez one time, right? And he was talking about defensive runs saved. And he said, so if I go up and I rob a home run, of course I don't get one defensive run saved, right? And I was like, well, no, no, it doesn't work that way. It's it, You get theoretical value for that play, and the, the runs are, are theoretical. So if you go up and you rob a potential grand slam, you know, you did just take four runs off the board, but you don't get four DRS because that's not how the stat works. And it's it's not how the stat should work. But what we should do is recognize the reality that he just took four runs off the board and give him real life credit for that, even if you can't necessarily project him to continue to do that every game or in the future or whatever. That's not the point. And it's the same thing with these mistakes. It's the same thing with these errors this season. I'm sure the theoretical amount of harm that this number of errors could do to a team is far, far less than the amount of actual damage to the Rockies' chances of winning individual baseball games that these mistakes have done. Daniel Bard has to come in here in the eighth and get the final out. If that hitter, and I can't remember who he faced to finish that inning, sorry. If that guy throws out a broken bat, bloop single to right field, tie ball game, almost certainly it's going into the ninth. The only run that came in in the game came off the bat of uh, uh, Charlie Blackman, and it was a fielder's choice. Wasn't even a base hit, right? Rocky's had a couple runners on. He's able to put the ball in play and, and bring the run in. There's only one extra base hit in the game. I'm sorry, there were two of them. The um, Jeffers had one for the Twins, and Rogers had a double for the Rockies. Both of them doubles. So, if they manage to get a ball in the dirt, the runners at third base, they didn't even necessarily need a hit there after the error, right? And we have seen the Rockies lose games exactly this way. 
up all game. Well, they weren't up all game. They, they got the run in the sixth, but not down, right? They hadn't been down all game. It's the eighth inning. They're clinging to a one-run lead. Their starting pitcher is still freaking out there. And they're in a position where they can hand the ball over to the one guy in the bullpen who can legitimately say he's been great this year and probably belongs in the All-Star game. Like, all of this is lining up for you, but one throwing mistake almost cost them the game. Again, it's, you know, Bard puts one in the dirt, skips away from the catcher. They score a run, and I honestly don't believe there's any way the Rockies would win the baseball game after that point. You never know. Things do happen in extras or whatever. But that's how close it was. And and again, we saw this happen twice in Miami, right? A couple of times on that California road trip in extra innings. We've seen this happen in like the last five extra inning games that the Rockies have played where it's the mistake that ends up costing the game more than their execution at hitting or pitching or or this, that, or the other, right? So it didn't cost them last night. But that it still happened is one of those things that continues to give me pause. And until they go on a real run, and and they may not, they just really may not be able to, uh, because, you know, you got two more here in Minnesota, then you return home for set against the Dodgers. Now you never know. You know, home and uh, they beat them last time. And like I said, they are pitching better, but you can't make mistakes like this against the Dodgers. You definitely lose that game. And so, you know, as as we look forward here, I, again, until it happens, I'm going to continue to think they're going to fall out of it a bit. They're going to need to keep playing the young guys. It's been nice to see Montero and Bouchard out there. Um, you know, I'd like to see more and more of that. Uh, but... It does give you a little bit of pause when they go out and win a game like that, and they beat a good team that way. And so, you know, there there is still time. I, this is what I'll say. Even as you know, though, I've come out and said, "Look, this isn't going to happen. They should almost certainly be sellers now. We should be looking at the young players. Should kind of be focusing or, or transitioning the focus, I should say, on the season toward basically toward next toward the future, next year and and beyond. And while I think that that's still more than likely to be the case. Obviously, they can't play that way, right? They, they, they still have to go out there and do the thing. And if Marquez has truly turned a corner, that does make things a little bit more interesting, especially if he's going to get hot. What they really need is one or two of the starting pitchers to get hot and, and start kind of regularly, put together three or four outings in a row where you're doing more than the quality start, right? Where they're really having strong outings. Because um, I do think, you know, you're going to get steady but not dominant from Chad Cool the rest of the way. It was cool. Cool. Damn, it's hard not to do this. It's cool to see him start the way that he did. But I think most people knew and, and recognized, hey, he's probably going to come back to earth. And he has been, but he's been he's also been fine. He hasn't, hasn't been a disaster by any means. But you need Marquez... Maybe Freeland, he's, he's had some good ones lately. But again, the starting pitching has been a lot better. Not perfect and not every single game, but a lot better the last three, maybe even four weeks now. But the results obviously just aren't following. And if, when that's the case, it's even that much more disheartening, right? 
Again, it could be a very different story if they had won a game or two in Miami because then they'd be on a nice little run here after the sweep of San Diego. But they basically wiped out their San Diego sweep by getting swept in Miami. And they're just desperately fighting for relevance right now. Couple other things I did want to mention. More good stuff from Connor Joe. Couple of base hits from him. He does score the run. He also gets a walk, so he was on base three times. Continues to be an on base machine. Unfortunately, almost no power coming out of Connor Joe these days, uh, which is a bit frustrating. But at the very least, he can, you know, claim that he's been getting on base a whole lot. Uh, another base hit for Jonathan Daza sitting there with a 319 batting average on the season. Really cool to continue to see his contact skill uh, working out for you there. And then Brendan Rodgers, uh, as I mentioned, with the double in the game. He had a big series in Miami. He's got the average all the way up to 255, but the OPS up to 720. And again, that that's on the season. That's with his first month of truly terrible uh, baseball on the resume. So when you take that out, or, or rather just look at what he's done since then, uh, he's been one of the Rockies' best hitters. In fact, after C.J. Crone, or, or maybe even right with C.J. Crone since the end of April, Brendan Rodgers continues to be the best hitter on the Rockies, which is neat to say. And as I alluded to uh, a moment ago, Daniel Bard, now has a pretty interesting argument to be made for the All-Star game. It's going to be fascinating to see whether or not the Rockies can get two All-Stars in into the game, and if not, which one is chosen, because I think for a long time there it seemed obvious that it was going to be C.J. Crone, and I still think he's the most likely guy for sure. Uh, but I also, you know, he's, he's got, he hasn't been cold. It's not fair to say he's been cold. He's still been doing us, carrying the heavy load on offense for sure. But the home run pace he was on was going to be, it, it had to slow down, but it's, it slowed down quite a bit. And he's no longer, you know, tops in the league in home runs and ribbies and, and some of these other things. And there are a lot of first basemen who put up a lot of big offensive numbers. So it may end up being that, Crone ends up on the outside uh, purely for that reason, purely because of the positional factors that there are going to be other first basemen that, you know, the voters around the the league are voting for. And so Daniel Bard with his now 188 ERA, 15 saves, uh, I believe two blown saves on the season. And uh, it's just, he's just been very, very impressive. I know there was that one brief stretch where he blew a couple in a row and people wanted to get rid of him entirely, especially, I think, combining with how bad he had been last year. But overall, he's been truly tremendous. 28.2 innings pitched and a 252 ERA+. plus. That is up there among the best ERA plus numbers in franchise history. Now, of course, that's over the, the course of an entire season. He would need to keep up this pace in order to match. But that, that is a 252 is Scott Oberg or Adam Adovino, or for those of you who are around in the year 2000, Gabe White. Yep, that's real. Look it up. Um, but but yeah, that, that's good. the 250 on an ERA plus for a reliever is a dominant, dominant, dominant season uh, where where are the strikeouts? So you got thirty five 
strikeouts to 13 walks on the year for Daniel Bard. So, yeah, I know, uh, again, there were there were a couple there in a row where he gave up some runs. Uh, he ended up taking the blown save or the loss in some games at the Rockies. Coulda, shoulda, woulda won. That's always the way when you're, you're the closer. The L ends up coming down on you more or less. But it's just not reasonable really to have expected Daniel Bard to have been any better than he has been uh, so far in this season. Just celebrated his 37th birthday uh, the other day. Really awesome to see uh, that, that a guy at, at, at his age, uh, <laughs> I'm barely a year younger than he is, but uh, that is out there doing the thing, man. And of course, everybody knows the story with, you know, him missing all of those years and, and having some issues after kind of flaming out with Boston and becoming a coach and all of this stuff. So he's one of those rare guys that like everybody in baseball roots for that. Like, it's not like the other team goes up there looking to strike out. Like we saw in 2020, uh, 2021, you know, the, there will be no mercy. Like they will go out there and try to destroy you if you leave a pitch over the zone. But I, I do think it's one of those things where you see more guys like when they get blown away by his like 99 mile an hour sinker, you'll see him look back at the mound and just kind of smile at him a little bit and be like, man, damn, but also cool for you. Good on you, dude. Because that, like, these guys know how hard it is to just even hang at that level. And then to be able to basically be told by the numbers and and your coaches and and the baseball world at large for five, six years, like, no, you can't hang. You, you, you can't play here anymore. Maybe you can coach. You got knowledge. You can do X, Y, and Z, but you can't play at this level anymore. Not good enough. For him to go through all of that and to get back out there in his mid to now later 30s and not only hang, but to be legitimately in consideration for the All-Star game right now, putting up numbers where he is just dominating and making some of the best hitters in the league look silly. And he's doing it where, especially since the Tyler Kinley injury, he's the only guy in the bullpen who's capable of doing it. He's holding up an entire unit with his bare hands, you know, as best he can. So I'm just remarkably impressed with what Daniel Bard has done this season. I did not to whatever, but I did, I did call this. I, I did have this one, and it was a very unpopular opinion at the time. I had Daniel Bard being the Rockies' best reliever this year. And, you know, remember how bad he was in 2021. But the stuff remains, and he just needed to tune up the spots. And he has done that. So it's been it's been pretty fantastic to see. It's just too bad that it's happening in a year where the rest of the Rockies' bullpen has been such a disaster. And the team itself is falling completely out of relevancy. So, you know, it's not going to catch a bunch of headlines nationwide. But, you know, that would be another great reason to get him into the All-Star game. Really, both guys deserve to be there. And I can understand somebody saying in the abstract, in, in theory or whatever, the Rockies don't deserve to have two All-Stars. But I... I've never, I don't think it works that way. That, that to me is not, you know, all-stars should just be the people who are playing the best. And no, having two really good players on your 26 or 27-man roster, it doesn't make you a great baseball team. But that the fact that you're not a great baseball team doesn't mean that you don't have two or maybe three or four. Not the Rockies do. I'm thinking other teams out there, man. But there have been years where the Rockies have been truly bad and had, like, four legitimate all-stars. 
Like, that's just the way it goes. We're supposed to be celebrating the best individuals in the game. We have time to celebrate the best teams in the game. It's called the postseason. <laughs> that's when we celebrate the best teams in the game. But the best individual players should be showcased at the All-Star game. And I believe that... And again, there's a little bit of time for this for them to fall off or to, to improve their case. But I think both C.J. Crone and Daniel Bard belong to be there. And I think both have a really great story that more people should hear. And yes, not to, you know, look, there's a lot of things to criticize the Rockies over. I've been doing it all show. I've been doing it all year. I've been doing it for 10 years. Uh, Even if I end up, quote, defending them on certain things, I critique the Rockies constantly. But I also believe that critiques ring empty if you don't give credit where it's due, if you don't recognize a quality decision that really meant a lot to a person. And in both cases of Daniel Bard and C.J. Crone, you've got instances where the Rockies went out and took a chance on a guy that maybe nobody else in baseball was going to give that same opportunity. And whatever they saw in them turned out to be real, right? They they gave these guys the chance to flourish and... I know that both of them are really, really grateful for it. CJ in particular for having the multi-year contract and for being able to call Colorado his home when he's felt like he's bounced around the league for a while. And I think it would be cool to send him out there and hear him say that on a national scale and, you know, say, I I love being a Rocky. I love Colorado. I love that they're taking care of me. And even though we're not having the year we want to have, I, I know this is exactly what he'll say, you know, I think we've got something to build upon here and all of that. And whether you you believe it or not, it's nice to be represented in that way because uh, that's another thing that the All-Star Game is about, right? Representing each team out there. And I think with Bard and Crone, you've got a, a fantastic representation of the best of what this team has to offer right now, which isn't much, and they've been very frustrating. But I think we can all and should all be proud of what those guys are doing right now. And that's something to hang your Colorado Rockies hat on. So thank you all for listening to this episode. I uh, hope you'll continue to do so. Check out all the other you know, podcast content, especially the hockey stuff right now. Uh, you know, something going on out there. This is Lord Stanley says, rough one last night, rough one last night. But they got it. They got this. Go Avs. Go check out all that content at milehighsports.com. Come hang out with me on Twitter, at Drew Creaseman. You can always slide into the DMs and ask me about the Discord channel. Other than that, I can only ask that you continue to be absolutely awesome out there. You know that I will continue to be absolutely Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark.